I started questioning my process and questioning my commitment to that, that kind of way of working and realizing that I could actually keep doing and, and, and engaging with that kind of physical side of painting, um, still kind of taking cues from, from life. So the, the sort of hiatus I took from, from working observationally sort of reinforced this idea that I could still work from life, but still very much engage with, you know, like I said, the, the, the process of mixing color, putting it on a canvas, building up a surface, building up an image and, and creating this, this sort of object. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 109th episode, Joe Morzich comes on to talk about his recent paintings that explore observation and working from life in a number of different still life objects and setups. He has a reception for his opening this Friday, May 2nd, and that show runs through May 30th. It's at Gallery 56 in Memphis, so please check it out if you can, if you're in the Memphis area. Perhaps you're an associate of Joe's and you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you want to know more about it. Studio Break is a podcast and blog site. We feature a variety of different artists that come on and discuss their work in great length. Each of our interviews have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and these lengthy interviews where they talk about what's going on in their heads. So please check them all out. Again, you can easily do that through the archive button right there on the left. Once again, we are in iTunes, so you can subscribe to the podcast. We're on Facebook, so you can follow us there. You can follow us on Twitter, at Studio Break, and you can also follow our Tumblr page, that's Studio-Break. So please do all of those things, of course. And we do want to remind you, if you're an artist looking for shows to apply for, we have a unique opportunity for our 2014 competition. Our juror this year is Richard Holland from the Bad at Sports podcast in Chicago. He'll be selecting nine winners to be featured on the Studio Break podcast. Once again, the categories are going to be BA, BFA, MA, MFA, and professional artists. Once again, if you've got questions, you can always email them. Of course, if you want to find out more about the complete rules, go to studiobreak.com and you'll see there's a competition page. Once again, in addition to picking nine winners we're going to be picking three different artists one from each of those categories for a solo exhibition one at the peoria art guild at jan brandt gallery and demo projects so once again three artists will be given solo exhibitions which is pretty sweet so we encourage everyone to apply and of course if you know any artists that will be interested in applying and getting a solo show please let them know about this opportunity and with that out of the way, here is our interview with Joe Morzich. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Happy to have you on. I know that we've uh, tried doing this a number of times. so Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Dave. Right on. And again, it'll be great to kind of delve into your background a bit more than I know. Could you start us off just with, you know, where you're from and... And we can kind of go from there. Sure. Yeah, I uh, I'm from a town called Waukegan, Illinois. 
about 45 minutes to an hour north of Chicago. Grew up there, went to school in Macomb at Western Illinois University, and then uh, finished up my master's at Southern Illinois with uh, with you in Carbondale there. Most of the time I bring up, like, what did you like to do when you were a kid and make a sports joke? But you, you did play football, right? Is, is that right? Played. Uh, I was an athlete in high school and also in college. Uh, I was a football player, but I also was a, on, on the track team. I was a shot put thrower and discus thrower and hammer thrower and yeah but was but was art always in there too and in, in terms of when you were a kid i i know that everybody talks about like just drawing incessantly but was that something you started out or became interested at at like an early age yeah always it kind of started with with me you know drawing comic books and things like that my aunt was a high school english and drama teacher and through her i i uh, would meet the art teacher that that she worked with and uh, so i was a kid and and uh, i'd meet with him and he'd unload supplies on me and give me you know colored pencils and paper and to sort of stock me up so yeah it, it was something that I've, I've always done and, and something that my family's always been really supportive uh with so I, I yeah just always done it was it something where you wanted to just kind of replicate what you saw because i know that when i was young that's kind of the only thing that i thought art was you know was like drawing this thing very realistically and you could do it or you couldn't do it you know which is what your barber might tell you, you know, like, I can't draw a stick figure. <laughs> you know, I, I guess there was always sort of uh, the, that kind of jolt of being able to make something look like something. But I remember, you know, even in like kindergarten, like finger painting and things like that, and just making these big messes and, and just being really excited about just getting dirty and the materials and not even making pictures, just sort of mixing colors and things like that. So yeah, it's, you know, I've, I've always been sort of interested in making an image, but just as interested in the actual substances and materials that that I, I'm working with. And so did you get a lot of exposure to that when you were in high school? Again, you kind of talked about, you know, some of these uh, early influences in terms of this teacher, you know, providing you all these materials and that, but did you take a bunch of different classes? Yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough, you know, I, I had art classes all the way through elementary school and junior high. And then when I got into high school, had was, was lucky enough to have especially two really amazing art teachers. And it, it was in high school that I thought, you know, I, I could maybe do something with this for the rest of my life. You know, I, I was able to see um, these teachers that I admired and respected having a career within the arts and, and supporting the arts and encouraging younger people to go into the arts. And, and that was something that I knew that I wanted to do. And, and, and so that kind of got me on my track early on in college. Um, it, 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 I think it really started in, in high school with, with these two amazing teachers that I had. I guess I'm just kind of curious too. What do you think, I guess it takes to have that kind of commitment? I mean, is it something that you think that you could be aware of at the time or it was just like, I'm that, you know, everybody's very supportive. I'm really good at right. this. I think I could do this as opposed to math, you know, cause it's such a, it's such a hard question to think about. So, well, you know, my, my, my parents always encouraged me and, you know, my brother and sister, um, it was always important for them that we were happy. And, and so they always sort of first and foremost encouraged us to do things that, that made us happy. And, you know, of, of course there were sort of high standards for, grades and performing well and things like that. But yeah, there, there was that, like I said, that sort of immense support when I was growing up. But I, I also, uh, you know, like I said, I, I became very close with my art teachers in high school. 
um, and then very much with with my teachers in college who are, are practicing artists. Um, and I was able to see through my friendship with them the, the amount of commitment that that was involved in doing this and, and, and making, you know, painting or art making or, or, or whatever, making that a part of your life, you know. And, and, and so I was able to see firsthand how committed my teachers were and my mentors were. Um, so I, I, I think that it was very re, uh, sort of realistic. It, it, it was sort of a, a – I saw the high level of commitment that it took, and that, that was sort of a dose of reality. But it, it was also, I thought, again, just very doable, that, that people could – commit themselves to making art and, and, and still, I, I guess, exist and, and, you know, sort of make a living with it. Well, so how, how did, how did you wind up going to a Western, right? Western Illinois university? Yeah. Yeah. Um, honestly, uh, a, a big part of it, uh, was, uh, like I said, I was on the track team. <laughs> that, that was something that was a big part of it. I had met with, uh, a couple of the faculty beforehand and, and really liked the school. I had, I had some friends, um, some older friends in, in, in high school who went there and, and, and recommended it. It was also to a school. I, I, I liked the size of it. And I liked the fact that most of the classes were taught by actual faculty. And, you know, there was a very low number of, of courses being taught by TAs or, or adjuncts or anything like that. And so I, I thought that was, was a good sign, too. So proximity to home, I knew I wanted to, to kind of get away, but I wanted to stay in the state. So, yeah, just a, a, a number of factors, really. What was that experience like, you know, starting out? And I, I say this especially because, you know, I think... And I guess I could confess this for myself, you know, like when I started, I don't know that I was the best student. <laughs> so, so when, you know, when I'm talking to you and I, and I, and I see especially like how, how invested you are in the process of looking, it just makes me wonder, is that something that was, you know, there from like drawing one 2D and, and all that straight on through? I mean, did you just really get interested in that stuff right in that time? Or was it something that you kind of slowly got accustomed to, or were you already just prepared for it? it Started, I, I would say, with the beginning drawing classes and, and that kind of observational practice. We were very much encouraged to experiment and try different things, as as most I think college students are, and to, to kind of find our own way. But the the artists that I, I saw that I admired, the work that I really liked, were artists that had this kind of commitment to observation and, and really looking and, and basing their their work on that. Um, but it, it also too, that, that practice has also very much allowed me to deal with materials and, and kind of engage with the process of painting in a way that's, that's still meaningful and, and gives me cues to, to sort of work off of. Even though we're, we've been talking for a short amount of time, you brought up materials twice, you know, in, in terms of just, you know, something that you're interested in. I mean, was it something, too, where you got exposed to a lot of, like, new ways of working? Because, I mean, again, you, you could kind of become very insulated, you know, and, and I know I was in, in terms of leaving high school, but to kind of be stuck in, you know, like a life drawing class where somebody's asking you to, like, draw with, you know, like, a, I think I, I used strawberry syrup to draw with at some point. So what becomes exciting about those materials that you start to kind of investigate or, or see something different to kind of want to keep pushing it as opposed to rejecting it well i think that's actually that's that's absolutely it i feel like when personally for me when a painting works um it's almost like a this kind of perfect storm this this kind of balance between the image and the object um i i prefer to have the paintings 
sort of exist on their own as objects. It's, it's, it's not an overarching goal to, to, to make this really convincing representational image. Um, I'm, I'm just as invent as invested in, uh, trying to make an, an, an interesting object. And I think, you know, too, one of the interesting things is as a younger artist and as a student artist, the problems of, of trying to figure out what a certain material does and what a certain material can do versus other things. And, uh, taking advantage of that as opposed to, to like you said, being resistant and, and, and trying to fight that. That was always a really interesting kind of process of, of problem solving. And, and, and so, yeah, it's just something I, I, I guess a lot of it came uh, from being exposed to certain types of, of painters and certain types of artists, artists who, again, kind of meet somewhere in the middle between image and object and letting the, the, the paintings and the drawings stand for this very specific kind of material or, or, or process. But as a, as a still life painter or someone that works from representation, works from objects, interiors, settings, did you, did you find an interest in, in terms of taking some other courses that weren't a, a 2d approach? I, I did. Yeah. Um, the one I've, I've always wanted to, try ceramics. I actually don't have any experience with ceramics. I feel like that's something that I I would really enjoy. I loved uh, printmaking because of the sort of indirectness of it and how kind of process heavy, especially intaglio and and sort of various avenues within um, intaglio printmaking is. Uh, So so I really like that. And, And I think that had a lot to do with this idea of kind of building an image and, and, and sort of trusting a process and allowing a process to kind of unravel and, and letting the, the image or, or the, the, the final product be a result of this kind of ongoing um, investigation or this kind of ongoing kind of problem solving. So, yeah, so I, I, I have li- a limited experience with, with uh, three-dimensional work. Um, I always think I, I should I should do more, but I just really, I fell in love with, with painting, so. Right. Well, and it's interesting that you bring up printmaking and process, because one of the other things that it reminds me, too, is that mm-hmm. when, I, when I took printmaking, I had all of these expectations as to what something would look like, and then, and then I'd pull a proof off or something and go, good gosh, it's not at all what I imagined it to look like. So there's kind of like a a way that you kind of have to deal with what you get and kind of react to it, which I, I think is very similar to the way that, I don't know, one might work from observation in some ways. Yeah. And, and, and I think a certain, a certain kind of way of working observationally, I've, I've certainly tried it in the past where things have been, you know, planned out um, to, to a very serious degree and, and where the, the, the making of the painting was just sort of, mechanical. And I, I really didn't enjoy that. I, I really love, uh, you know, having an idea, sort of imagining what the, the, the painting is going to look like before I even started. And then realizing that once the painting is begun, that it's going in a completely different direction or that I have to respond to these things and, and kind of work with these things that have come up that I had absolutely no idea would, would, would happen at the start of the painting. So um, I feel like it's, it's a much more kind of open-ended kind of a, a process. Um, and that, that keeps me really excited about it. And so w- when you were a BFA student then, I mean, obviously you're, you're getting into all these classes and, and, you know, very serious about, you know, becoming an artist and, and studying. But I wonder too, like, so in terms of like leaving 
at least kind of the work that you were leaving there with, what what did it look like? It was really sort of split between still life painting and uh, self portraits. The the still lifes, I, I at the time, you know, as an undergrad, I was thinking a lot about and looking a lot at um, Tebow and and Deben Corn and a lot of the the sort of Bay Area. Uh, California guys, and so that the the sort of materiality of the way they worked, and and that sort of again meeting of of painted object and image was was something I was thinking about. I think maybe as a sophomore, uh, early on in in college, it, that first issue of Art in America with uh, Jenny Seville's kind of two headed uh, uh, self portrait with her and her sister, the the kind of two headed image. Uh, when that was a cover of Art in America, that that was when I was introduced to to Jenny Seville, and of course, like every undergrad, sort of fell in love with her, and, and that prompted towards the end of of my time as an undergrad, I was doing these very large scale, large sort of confrontational naked self portraits, um, very much in, in the vein of Jenny Seville, but but charcoal drawings, but still all kind of observationally based, and 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 then that sort of. I kind of moved uh, pretty much directly from from undergrad into graduate school and kind of just kept working and didn't really see a break there. And it just got to the point where, you know, I, I, I felt like like still life painting um, was a little bit more uh, removed, I guess, in a way than, than self-portraiture. Um, and it allowed me to deal with more formal issues, I thought, that, that kind of distance um, and, and, and deal with painting issues that that I thought with the self-portraiture, there's just maybe a little too much sort of baggage there, maybe, I guess. But no, so so really in graduate school, it, it was when still life kind of usurped everything and, and really became a, a, a focus. I also think of you as someone that's very well studied. I mean, I mean, what what how did that aspect of doing research and, and reading, how did that affect, you know, the types of work that you're interested in making? Because I know, again, it's just it's it's hard to be in today's world in some ways and just be a painter you know what i mean in the in the sense of like you don't you don't have any concerns beyond that and again i think as you leave school you kind of realize that pretty much any path is possible but you know what were you what were you reading or investigating at the time that was maybe I don't know, supporting your studio practice or especially getting you to reconsider things about it? Early on in, in graduate school, I was being exposed to a lot of, um, just a lot of theory, a lot of postmodern theory. And, you know, I think, like, like is probably pretty common. Um, it was sort of overwhelming and, and kind of blew my mind a bit. And I, I think, like, also it's probably pretty common to be a little resistant to, to that stuff. Um, but the, the, the more I read, the more I got into it, the more actually interested I, I, I became, I, I always wanted to, and, and I still do, I, I want to be as exposed to things as, as, as possible. And I want to be able to engage with art on, on many levels and, and not just the type of work that I make, but I, I want to be able to, to have some sort of connection to, to everything. And, and I feel like, sort of knowing as much as I can and, and having been exposed to as, as much theory or, or, or whatever uh, is kind of a tool to to be able to do that. I, I don't think of my work as kind of in opposition to, um, you know, say postmodern theory or, or whatever, but, but I, I certainly think of my work as 
kind of outside of some of those concerns and, and, and sort of purposely so. So how did you wind up going to Southern Illinois University? Well, my my wife is, is also a painter. Um, we've been together for, for quite a while. We knew that we both wanted to go to grad school. We uh, applied to a number of grad schools, got into most of them together. And then Carbondale was was a place that we had gotten into together. We went down and, and interviewed and, and sort of visited the place and talked with students and, and faculty and just got a really great great vibe from it. So that was, was a big a, a, a big factor in, in uh, me going there. Um, the studio space I, I thought was pretty pretty uh, wonderful. Um, and I, I've always known that I have wanted to teach as well. And so that, that was something that I, I knew if I went to Southern, I'd, I'd be able to get a lot of, of teaching experience. I was recently on a interviewed for another podcast called Otcast in the Boston area. So I think that's kind of a fun pun, but oh, right. yeah. it was just this idea of bringing up like, you know, like you, you, you talk to a range of different people. What was it like to, to go to Carbondale and really just have such a range of people i mean it's it's kind of interesting because i think the more you get away from it the more you realize how amazing an experience was but what was that like for you because i mean it's again a lot of different types of artists from a lot of different places yeah no it it was amazing and uh i i honestly i couldn't have wished for for a better experience many of the people that that i met in grad school i'm still very close friends with yeah, it, it it was just it it was awesome, and and you know being around so many different types of of artists, making so many different types of things, it was sort of inspiring to 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 kind of try new things and and take different directions. But it also was empowering, and 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 that it kind of forced you to or or forced me to define what my interests and and, and goals were as a painter. Um, and, and to just really think about why I'm, I'm making these decisions in the studio. You know, I, I think a great strength of, of Southern's program is that there really is not an agenda, that uh, there is this great diversity of, of students, of, of, of student work happening, and, and this high degree of support. So I, I, I felt very comfortable there. I felt very supported there and very able to um, make what I wanted to make and, and sort of stand by what I wanted to to make um, within this environment that was supportive, but also very diverse. You know, one of the I think one of the pieces that I remember was this this uh, series of self portraits that you did somewhere in the middle. And again, I mean, you were kind of always kind of making you know still life paintings and and paintings that were you know, very focused in that realm. But you also kind of had these other interesting explorations and I, I don't know I, I mean i realized that we talked about figurative stuff already but i mean are there any kind of pre- specific bodies of work or maybe a painting or something we need an anecdote joe like yeah well well the, you know that that series of of self-portraits that i did um that uh well it's, it's kind of funny I'll, I'll say this i i not too long ago started a painting of from an actual sitter so i i had someone come and actually sit in the studio and, and I, I worked from this from this person. It was difficult and I, I felt a little uh strange sort of looking at this individual with such kind of an objective uh critical eye. I've I have no problem turning that on myself and, and I certainly have no problem having that kind of, of observation based 
study with 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 objects. Um, but it seemed it, it seemed a little difficult doing that with an actual person. Um, sort of going back now with 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 that series of self portraits. The the goal was to try to make the same painting over and over again, knowing that I wouldn't actually be able to do that. And 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 so what I thought was interesting about that series was that even though the paintings were were made in an attempt to be as similar as as possible what became obvious was the really minor differences from from one painting to the next and and it was really that that series that got me thinking a bit more i i don't want to say conceptually but 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 got me thinking a bit more about my practice as an observational painter and that there was meaning there um and 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 even though i i try my best to be sort of objective and, and to have this kind of critical vision, knowing that I'm always going to be present, that, that my, you know, my hand's going to turn a certain way, or I'm not going to be able to remove myself from the practice as, as objective as I try to be trying to make an objective painting is, is pretty impossible. And so I think that, that really kind of, sprung from that that series and it's something that i think a lot about and it's again something that keeps me interested in painting observationally from life you know i know that there's a number of pieces that maybe you might have been consciously kind of like setting a narrative or maybe picking um certain objects or or things to kind of create that aspect of it but how does how does one decide uh, what to paint, especially the way that you describe it. I mean, the world is such an interesting place. You know, I'm looking at a little screwdriver that's on my desk and thinking like, man, that's kind of an interesting, interesting thing, right? Just in and of itself. So how, how did you decide what to paint? And I don't know what variables were, were in, in that for you, I guess, at the time. Well, you know, like I said, I, I moved from undergraduate right into to grad school if I were to do it again, I, I maybe would have taken a year or two off in, in, in between. But right out of graduate school, about a year after graduate school, because everything had been so fairly consistent and, and, and pretty linear from in, in terms of subject matter and the things I was working on, about a year after graduate school, I, I actually started to um, – I, I started a, a completely separate – kind of body of work. The paintings were based on, on collages that I was doing, sort of typical kind of, you know, postmodern interests, um, merging uh, elements from uh, historical Western oil painting, Caravaggio, and, and these sort of paradigm kind of artists, um, pairing images of, of, you know, like a Caravaggio with a, a, a paint-by-numbers horse or, or um, comic book imagery and, and, and things like that, and, and making these sort of um, collage-based pastiche paintings very much in the vein of, of somebody like, like David Saleh. That was, was sort of fun for me. It, it, it was uh, a type of working that I had for a while been, been interested in, in, in trying out. Um, and so I, I spent really about a, a year to a year and a half just sort of making these collage-based kind of hybrid uh, uh, paintings. From there, I, I, I kind of moved on and, and embarked on a, a period of, of working fairly uh, abstractly. I, like I said, have always been interested in just the, the, the process of painting and thought, you know, can I, can I try this without having to deal with, with any sort of imagery? Um, and so the work uh, was very much just sort of process-based, non-objective, kind of geometric, um, abstract painting. I, I 
went to New York uh, a, a few years back and saw uh, an Amy Silman exhibition, um, and it just completely blew me away. And so I, you know, went on this sort of year and a half, two year long stint of trying to make these sort of Amy Silman knockoff paintings. But it, 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 again, it got to the point where I started questioning my process and questioning my commitment to that that kind of way of working and realizing that I could actually keep doing and, and, and engaging with that kind of physical side of painting, um, still kind of taking cues from from life. So the the sort of hiatus I took from from working observationally sort of reinforced this idea that I could still work from life, but still very much engage with, you know, like I said, the, the, the process of mixing color, putting it on a canvas, building up a surface, building up an image and, and creating this, this sort of object. You know, you, you used a, a word in there that we haven't, we haven't really addressed that I think is a really important one, and that's uh, color. Yeah. This is my James Lipton moment, by nice. the way. Nice. <laughs> but, um, you know, what, what, what is it about color? And I know, you know, on a side note, you know, in terms of materials, <laughs> you have about 15 to 20 different reds. I mean, yeah. again, you have like a wealth of materials to kind of work with, but I'm really interested. Where, where does the love of color come from? Is that, what is it about that, that you want to kind of capture, or kind of explore more? Cause there's so many paintings that you've made that, explore color so in such an interesting way and well thank you for that honestly i i don't know i i think of i think of painting again as kind of like problem solving i i think of paintings as being orchestrated in in a certain kind of way um and and i think of color very sort of abstractly and and, and color is one of those things you know color and surface are, are basically the two things that i i really strongly associate with with painting and so kind of building up a, a surface and, and orchestrating color harmonies is, is something that I find very difficult but but also very very exciting uh, uh, something I'm, I'm very interested in as an observational painter and as, as somebody working um, and taking cues from colors that exist in, in life is having some sort of sort of correspondence between the color that I'm seeing in life and the color that I'm making and putting into the painting, having that color feel sort of naturalistic or, or, or as though it could exist in reality, but, but also still having it ring as a beautiful color. And it, it, it's funny that we're, we're talking about color right now. Cause I mean, I actually feel as though I'm kind of moving in a direction that's, that's more about mixing kind of natural grays and, and sort of dulling out my color, but still having, color harmonies and color relationships ring in the paintings. You know, I've, I've got an idea to, to sort of do some, some very dark paintings and, and, and the, the, the prospect of making very low key, very dark paintings, but still having to think about color. That's kind of interesting to me. So yeah, so it, it's, it's really just the, the whole kind of problem solving of it and, and orchestrating these, these, color relationships or, or, or color harmonies or, or making even something where, where the colors intentionally kind of fight against each other, but still kind of exist within the painting. It's, it's just kind of another problem. You've kind of described a process in some ways where you're almost kind of isolating certain aspects to yeah. explore for a period of time and then, you know, letting them filter into the work. And I think about some of the kind of smaller, still life paintings that you've, that you've maybe made in the past where it's maybe an object or two objects with like a 
like set in a, a color scheme that might be monochromatic or it might be you know just a straight up complementary color scheme but again it seems like there's setups that have been you know very straightforward but it seems like now there's i don't know maybe it seems like a a bank almost or like a bank of resources to be able to kind of have these very simplified ways of, of working monochromatically and then being able to kind of utilize that in a, a painting that might might have way more complicated setup sure, in terms yeah. of the way that you're working through it. Does that does that uh, hit anywhere? My probably my all time favorite painter is uh, Morandi, and and he's someone who you can very easily pass his work by. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up very close to the Art Institute and. and spent many hours and, you know, was always visiting the art Institute. Um, and, and knowing that, you know, you, you'd see a Morandi within a, this, this gallery that have, um, sort of massive Picassos and very large Chagalls and, and paintings that, that very much kind of, uh, are, 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 are impressive, um, confrontational, uh, large, large paintings. And, and still, these Morandis are they're they're like these little it's like a vortex you know you can't help it but be pulled into it and you know they're they're such simple kind of anonymous objects but but you look at his paintings and and you start to recognize you know how again just sort of how orchestrated they are how how they're very much about different sort of formal relationships about reconciling observation and this kind of flat two-dimensional surface they're deceptively simple but they're incredibly complex um and and that's what i've always loved about morandi and that's that's something that that i've always um loved about painting is is you know i i feel like some of the best paintings they can feel very easy and and, and there there can be this this sense of ease to them um and i i kind of I, I want that to a certain extent but i also want them to be very orchestrated and 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 and, and very considered i was gonna say it just it reminds me of this article that i read recently by jennifer roberts and i, I think i saw it, you know of all places on facebook you know kind of passed around She's an art historian who's kind of talking about this process of having her students go and look at a specific painting for four hours. And I don't know, it just seemed like such an amazing idea just in terms of just being, I don't know, kind of being tra not trapped, but just kind of stuck in this environment where you're forced to kind of notice these little things I think that you're talking about, you know. And so, for example, she kind of has all these notes, like progressively, the longer that she sits in front of it, noticing like different ratios and, and things like that. Is is that something that, I don't know, is that some is that the way that your brain works in terms of you want to see those, those relationships, how far something is from something, um, the way that it's constructed as well? I kind of think that like I'd secretly like to be an abstract painter, you know, like, and, and I, I don't know, like maybe I, I kind of feel like, most representational painters kind of secretly want to be abstract painters and most abstract painters kind of secretly want to be representational painters. And, and like, even today it's such, you know, it, it's such a ridiculous, um, division, you know, like I, I, I don't think that those, that that division even needs to exist anymore, you know, but so, so someone like, like Ewan Uglo, right. Where, you know, he worked in this highly representational manner. It, it was still sort of the, the, pictorial organization that trumped all that other stuff. You know, he, he was very much about um, the geometry of the canvas and, and kind of creating a, a, a composition that was based on proportion and, and ratio and, and, and whatnot. So I, I, I've been trying to think more about 
it, it's weird, like representation as an act of abstraction, I guess. And so, yeah, so things like, you know, the, the measuring and, you know, plotting points and things like that, um, that all happens two dimensionally. And, and, and so it's, it's not, I, I've been trying to get to the point where it's not about sort of rendering the forms that I'm working with. It's, it's using the forms to create some kind of two dimensional organization. And, and, and so trying to, kind of bridge the gap between, I guess, I guess representation and abstraction. Um, I, w- I was reading this thing on Cezanne's um, unfinished work, and one of the words that was, was used with or, or in this essay was correspondence. And I thought that's re- really the, the sort of perfect word, this kind of creating a, a, a correspondence between the painted image and the thing that's that's being observed. And, and you know, just the sort of slippage that's allowed with the word like correspondence as opposed to creating a record or, or sort of rendering forms, I, I feel, you know, is, is, is much more interesting. So it makes me curious, too, then, you know, as as someone that, you know, maybe on the outside looks at your work and, and just sees, you know, such a solid example of, of representational work. And, you know, we've already kind of talked about, you know, the relationship between that and abstraction and you know, that it's a lot closer than people want to kind of admit. First of all, like, are, are you comfortable when you're painting? Or is that something that even kind of goes into the equation? And I guess I ask that because cause we're, I guess ideally we're all supposed to say we feel uncomfortable the whole time because it's great. You know, it shows that we're learning something. But what's that? I don't know. What's that experience like? Because I think for you, that might mean two totally different results. The whole sort of myth of... of you know, painting being this painful activity, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not into that. Like, I, I, I think that's, that's kind of ridiculous. I, I, I keep painting because it's, it's hard, you know, and it's challenging, but I do it because I love it, you know? And, and, and I, I think the sort of um, implementing these, these things that make your life harder is, is just kind of, you know, ri- ridiculous to me. You know, that being said, um, I, I try to only paint standing up. I, I just feel like I, I can move better standing up. I, you know, if I am painting and, and sitting down, that feels a little constrictive, I guess. I paint in my garage and, you know, this, this it's been a really cold winter. Um, and so I've been, you know, freezing, which makes me have to move around more. And, and in, in terms of like the, the actual sort of physical process and, and comfort versus discomfort, I like to be able to move around. You know, I've, I've got music playing. I'm, you know, I drum my brushes on my legs and stuff like that. And, but I, I, I like the, the process of painting, even, even if it's a smaller painting, I like it to be fairly physical. You know, I, I feel like that energy can kind of project itself, I guess, on, onto the painting and, and can become part of the painting. Is it something, too, where you'll, you know, constantly be getting back from your work to kind of see what it looks like? Because, again, I think that's something that, you know, if I'm doing it from a life model, I'm, of course, going to be doing stuff like that all the time. But... I don't know, maybe when I wind up getting uh, stuck in my ways, sitting and working, I kind of feel stagnant. So, well, yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. I'd like to be able to back up and, and look at the painting. It's, it's weird though. Cause I, with the measuring and the plotting and all that stuff, like I, I set up a plumb lines and, and kind of a grid between myself and, and the still life that I can kind of measure off of. And it kind of anchors the, the still life and certain points will always kind of line up. Um, I kind of tape out where my feet go. So 
you know, if I'm moving around a lot, still always come back and look from the same point. So I, I guess, you know, the looking part, that's pretty controlled. But then the actual sort of paint mixing and, and applying the paint and putting the paint down, you know, I, I've been using a lot of scrapers. I've got this, you know, like kind of cake decorating kind of palette knife, big kind of scraper that I use and Bondo scrapers and things. So the the looking part is is pretty controlled and, and kind of coming back and, and aligning points and making measurements off of that. But then the the, the mixing and the the application um, is a little bit more energetic, I, I, I guess. It seems like there's definitely something different between drawing, you know, a small you know kind of still life setting, and then kind of working from what looks like a, a pile of debris in some of the the recent works. You know, you've got these much larger expansive kind of areas to kind of work from what what's that experience been like and i think you know you talked a little bit about kind of grayscale color that most recent painting that you did would be kind of like a to me anyways like a good example of that or at least some of the recent ones where there's kind of these grays also kind of in, infused with these color areas but the, then again you're, you're kind of painting these larger chunks as well it, it kind of comes and goes i i, I guess I'm, I'm i'm wanting to set up more complicated uh, sub setups, you know, I really like the idea of having, um, working from a subject that seems or, or feels kind of chaotic. Um, and then through the painting process or, or the drawing process or whatever, kind of imposing this order on this chaos, you know, and, and just with that, I guess, sort of a, a shift in scale is, is, essential. But, you know, I, I kind of flip-flop. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do a larger, more complicated painting. I'll work on that for a number of months, and then I'll switch and do, you know, a, a small painting just to, to kind of change it up. But yeah, no, it, it, it's just trying to throw different challenges and, and problems into the mix and, and trying to solve them. And in and, and doing so, thinking about scale and, and whether or not a certain painting or a certain problem needs to be worked out at a larger or smaller scale. Uh, like how so? And is it something too, where you can kind of walk into, uh, uh, something that you're going to paint without even realizing it? Well, I mean, like, especially the, the, the most recent painting that I've seen, it just kind of, I don't know, like, like you kind of see it and you want to look at it like as this spontaneous act. And obviously working over it over a couple of months is not, not spontaneous, but in terms of just seeing that, that setup, I mean, was that something that you literally will kind of build up or is that something that you'll you know, walk into the garage studio and be like, hey, I want to paint that over there. I was driving home one day and, and just went past this uh, sort of industrial, was driving through this kind of industrial area and saw these this big pile of, of broken pallets. Um, and so I went over and asked the guys if I could have them and just threw them in the back of my truck and, and knew that I wanted to do, thought it would be interesting and challenging to do this kind of big tangle of edges essentially um and and so yeah so I, I i got those brought them back to my studio they sat around in my studio for a while and then i just kind of started just constructing this kind of massive pile and, and kind of throwing them throwing them down and arranging them a little bit you know sort of thinking about how certain edges would would create a certain kind of compositional push i guess and then the, the the colored flags that that were included, I thought, you know, the, the this pile of of old wood, they're kind of various hues of kind of grays and beiges and things like that. And so I, I included the flags because I wanted to have a 
kind of punch of color periodically. So that was was pretty orchestrated, and then kind of threading the the uh, string of flags through the pile and, and thinking about you know if there's a red over here, maybe I should try to get some red over here and, and that sort of thing. You know that that it's it's yeah it's kind of different. You know combinations of things being a little bit more random or a little bit more unplanned and then other things being a little bit more orchestrated. The paintings change a lot uh, while they're being painted, you know, so I'll, I'll start the painting and then realize certain things are happening or not happening. And so I'll add objects or take objects out, move things. So it's, it's the whole thing is, it's like I said, it's a, it's a very open-ended thing and the, the, the setups themselves are constantly changing and the paintings are, are always changing. Do you, do you wind up doing preliminary drawings and, and studies before you start a painting, or is that something that you do through the process? Or yeah, I, I, I do. I, I like to work out that as much of that stuff as possible in the painting. I, I, I like the result of that. You know, kind of unplanned. Work it out on the canvas. Build up the history. Build up the surface. But yeah, you know, I, I do thumbnails. I work with a viewfinder. I, I'll get the kind of general image down and then start to kind of measure off of that. And then, you know, things kind of shift from there. Any kind of pre-planning, it, it, it's really in terms of, of composition and, and, and what's going to happen compositionally with the forms. Um, but then again, once I start painting, all of that kind of goes out the window and it's just me kind of chasing the painting and, and trying to respond to things that pop up or things that aren't working and, and getting them to, to sort of work out. Well, it's interesting because it seems like such a meditative practice then really, you know, in a, in a way you're kind of like, I don't know, allowing the painting to do what it needs to do to work. Yeah, but I, I think also, too, being able to kind of work or, or think critically. And, you know, something that I'm always finding with, with students is that, you know, encouraging them to be able to let go of things or to be able to embrace change if it makes the work better, you know. Um and and so it's just, you know, being able to trust the process and, and being able to live with a painting that's not working or looking terrible for months um, and knowing that eventually if I can keep going with it, that something will get figured out or I'll, I'll you know, be able to meet it halfway or, or, or something like that. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's exciting. It can be kind of meditative at points, but also fun just being able to look at it objectively and kind of outside myself thinking, you know, what does this need to, to work or what does this need to be exciting or different? Or So uh, the decisions that you wind up changing from, from the preliminary work, is it something that's always kind of changing? You might walk in the next day, change the background, walk in the next day, change this aspect of the background or this aspect. You know what I mean? Like, is it something that you're always adding those changes? It, it, yeah, it is a kind of a constant process of addition one change typically will will spur changes that need to be made you know further down the line or or if you know if one form gets altered or adjusted or moved or shifted in scale it's hard to do that in one area and not recognize that it needs to happen you know everywhere else and yeah i i like that too i like that you know it's kind of about getting things to fit together and, and kind of it, it really kind of all comes down to relationships and kind of creating these formal relationships, either, you know, tonally or chromatically or compositionally. It, it's all about things kind of fitting together, I guess. And I'm curious, though, too, I mean, are, are you working on that, like a number of these paintings at once? Because I 
can't imagine that you can have like five different setups in the garage, but I don't know. Yeah, it, it really depends on scale. Um, typically, if, it, if it's a smaller or kind of medium-sized painting, I'll have two going at once. The, the light changes pretty drastically, so, so that kind of comes into play. I can, I can work on a painting in the morning. The light will be different in the afternoon, so I'll, I'll work on, on a different painting in the afternoon. If it's a larger one, like that one we were just talking about, um, that I, I worked on that pretty much exclusively for for its whole duration, just because the size of the setup, the size of the painting, it was uh, artificial light, so the the whole thing was sort of spotlit from from above, so that I, I could control the light and, and just sort of have you know kind of runaway eight hour sessions with with the painting, I guess. So it, it, yeah, it depends on size, it depends on light. Typically, I'll work on. You know, between one and, and, and three things um, together. You know, in terms of the everyday and life, I mean, is there like a a reason that you like painting? I guess the way that you do is there something? I don't know what what do you what do you get out of it as as kind of a reward? I guess if that yeah yeah isn't isn't super poetic for you? I like looking at things that have that that we feel like we know already. You know, these things that that we think don't warrant investigation. You know, I, I like kind of investigating these things. I, I like being kind of constantly surprised by things that that are easily written off or or, or thought of as, as unspectacular or, or uninteresting. And you know, I, I just feel like, you know, if you, like you were saying with, with that, that assignment, you know, look at a painting for four hours. Um, like if you look at a brick for like four hours, it's a pretty spectacular form. There, there's a lot there. So, yeah, so I, I like kind of bringing focus to these things that typically aren't focused on and, and kind of constantly being surprised by their complexity or their harmony, um, kind of figuring out their structure and, and, and their character. There's a level of kind of feeling like I live in like a like a, a world that doesn't exist anymore in the sense that like that slow kind of pace of an artist's lifestyle or, or someone that, you know, is studying a, a specific type of way of working and continuing to add to that over the course of years and years. I mean, it's such an intense process that it makes me wonder, you know, how that relates to, I don't know, everybody else's experience of, of things. Cause it seems like that, that level of investigation doesn't happen in the same way that maybe we grew up with, or maybe that's something that continually everybody says, you know, the longer the, <laughs> the longer people <laughs> talk, they keep saying that, you know, things are totally different now, but, but is there something to that, you know, that aspect of kind of, I don't know. And that, I think that's why I said meditative earlier, because it's like, it seems like it's a practice, you know, like being in this kind of slow observation, if you will. Yeah, I yeah, I, I I totally agree. But I think it's about focus, and I think it's about patience, you know. And and I, you know, I, I do think of of, I guess my work in in kind of opposition to, just this kind of constant stream of information, you know. Just you know, if if you're even watching TV, you know, being aware of how quickly a, a one shot is edited and turns into another shot. Just that you know, rarely watching a, a show will you see a shot that's longer than like three seconds before it's you know sort of turned into something else and and so i do think of of uh, yeah my my practice is is sort of this kind of being about focus and staying with something you know and and but but then i think about painters that i admire um you know josephine halverson um 
making a single painting in a single session that's this like marathon kind of 14 hour long intense amount of, of observation. Catherine Murphy, who who will literally sort of zero in on something and, and, and focus on that thing for, for years, you know, that, that kind of slowness and that, that kind of focus. I greatly admire those, those painters. And I, I, I greatly admire the, the intensity in that kind of slow, intense focus. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so are there, are there any, any things coming up in the future that you're, you're busy away working in your garage for? Uh, well, I've, I've got a show coming up uh, in Memphis uh, in, in May. A uh, couple solo shows, I think, coming up uh, in the fall. Yeah, just, just kind of working away and, and trying to get the stuff to, to evolve and, and kind of stay fresh, but, but also kind of building on the things that, that I've done in the past. Excellent. It's, it seems like such a great place to be when, you're, <laughs> when you've kind of cleared away some of the other things that maybe distract. I don't know. It seems like there's an ebb and flow, but it sounds like I'm catching you in that, that prime mode where you're just like every day that you have in the studio is just awesome, you know? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> well to, the, for the privilege to do it, not, not that everything turns out ever. <laughs> right, right. I, I, you, you, you've caught me in an op- optimistic moment, I, I would say. But yeah, no, it's it's... You know, I'm coming down off of that that bigger painting, and and so you know, I'm taking a little bit of uh, you know about a week off or or so, trying to figure out what my next move is going to be. Um, but no, it's it's nice, kind of, you know, getting a body of work under you that that you you can feel like you can build on instead of you know, kind of constantly jumping from place to place. Right on. Well, again, it'll it'll be awesome to uh see see the work when those shows pop up and you know, you get everything hung and <laughs> get a chance to t- take a step back from it and uh see it all up. You bet. You bet. Well, thanks again for doing this and uh, uh really appreciate it. I well, thank you, Dave. I I appreciate the opportunity. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of 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 uh the the podcast. Thanks once again to Joe for joining us, and please go check out his website, joemorzich.com. You can find that in this very post, and also be sure to check out his exhibition that opens this Friday in Memphis, Tennessee at Gallery 56. Once again, that show runs May 2nd through the 30th, and the reception is Friday, May 2nd from 5 to 8, so if you can go check it out, I encourage you to do that. I also encourage you to check out my website if you're curious about what I do and and where my questions are coming from. It might give you a little bit more to go on, but my website, davidlinaway.com, you can see some of my recent works. I have a bunch of new paintings from this year, so you can check them out right there. I do want to remind artists that our 2014 competition is open. Our juror, Richard Holland, of the Bad at Sports podcast will be selecting nine artists to be featured on Studio Break. So it's a good opportunity to get your work out there. Once again, those categories are going to be BA, BFA, MA, MFA, and professional artists. Once again, one winner from each of those categories will be selected for a solo exhibition. One of them will take place at Jan Brandt Gallery, one will take place at the Peoria Art Guild, and one will take place at Demo Project. So once again, three different winners will get their own solo exhibition, so it's a great opportunity to get your work out there and also pretty awesome venues to have an exhibition. So once again, artists, if you could do us a huge favor and share this opportunity, make sure that Richard has a lot of eye issues after we're jurying. 
Once again, we do encourage you to check out all the great interviews at studiobreak.com. Again, you can easily access them from the homepage where it says archive. Just go month by month. Check out all the great artists that you've missed. Again, over 100 episodes. Once again, you can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break, and you can also follow us on Tumblr, studio-break. And, of course, if you like, you can follow us on our Facebook page. You can like us, and it's a great way to stay informed about upcoming guests, opportunities, and things like that. So please do that. And, of course, share it with those handy buttons. And, of course, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while and are a subscriber in iTunes, we just hope that you leave us some comments there. There's millions of people around the world listening to podcasts that go to iTunes and are looking for new stuff, and your comments could encourage them to check out this one. So please consider doing that. Our music is provided by Skylar Mail, and I'm actually going to replay this last song, Jet Lag and Painter's Rag. It doesn't get its fair due because of my voiceover, so we're going to play that. But once again, Skylar is a musician and visual artist and performance artist. He performs with Gelatin and a number of other groups, and he's very interesting. Please go check out his website, SkylarMail.com. All right, thanks again for listening. We really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you real soon.